Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to be here with you today. I want to extend a special welcome to those of you joining us from our campuses at Crossroads and at uh, Highland Park and also in the 01. Uh, it's, it's a real honor for me to be kicking off this series for you, scriptures, passages, uh, words that changed my life. Uh, it had its start in the high school ministry a number of years ago when we did a version of this uh, to help us look at not just the scriptures, but specifically how did the scriptures Specific scriptures change the speaker's life. Uh, this is different than saying, uh, what's the most important passage in scripture? I, I would have chosen something different than, than to say, what's the one that specifically uh, changed my life? Um, and we're going to look at this today. We're in John 14. I'm going to read these verses for you really quick. Uh, the, the reason why I think they're so important is I believe that they're why I'm a Christian today, and we'll get into uh, to that in a bit. John 14, verses 11 and 12. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. This, of course, is Jesus speaking. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father." Now, in order for you to understand why these verses have made such an impact in my life, we need to start with some of my upbringing. I was raised uh, attending a mainline denominational church pretty much every Sunday. It, it a, had a great, uh, it was a vibrant church. There was a strong youth program there, and uh, I was very involved. And I had a, an awareness of God, uh, but, but not a whole lot more than that. And uh, I did attend a, a Christian camp when I was in grade school and heard the message that being a Christian means uh, starting by saying yes to Jesus, by inviting Him to be a part of your life, which was not something that I heard on a regular basis uh, at my church. My whole life I had been involved in, in theater, and so I thought that that's what I wanted to pursue uh, going forward, and so that's how I ended up at DePaul University in Chicago. And at this point, as I sort of look back, I, I, I see what might have been had my life not been changed by this concept that we're going to be finding out about in this passage. Sort of like the movie Sliding Doors, if you've seen that from about 20 years ago, the idea that uh, what would have happened to this character's life had she made that train? And they, the movie looks at, you know, if she makes the train, her life lives out in this way. If she, did, she missed the train, her life was lived out in a very different way. Uh, I can sort of see how my life would have progressed had, uh, had I not encountered this understanding of, uh, of who God is as revealed in this passage. And, and the reason is uh, because I was discovered what, what, what this passage refers to in the works that Jesus was doing, the things that, that, that his people were to con continue to do. That is, uh, the miraculous things of God is what changed me. Now, had I not encountered that, I'm pretty sure what my life would have looked like. I would have gone to uh, the college, DePaul, and I would have started attending the denominational church down the road that was consistent with my upbringing, and I would have gone there a few times, but I probably wouldn't have gotten plugged in there because uh, there wouldn't have been any real relevancy for my life uh, in that moment. Um, I would have, by the end of my first semester there, I probably would have stopped attending there altogether. Additionally, the religion class that I was required to take uh, at my school would have 
cast doubt on the idea that there's anything special or unique about Christianity, and I would have pretty quickly become a pluralist. That is, someone who believes that all religions have equal value. There's nothing unique about Jesus. He's, he's just one viable path to God among many. This would have been reinforced in my college world civ class where I was taught uh, things about the so-called historical Jesus. These were not true things, but they didn't stop my world civ teacher from teaching them to me anyway. Things like the fact that Jesus was a married, that John the Baptist didn't follow Jesus. Jesus actually followed John the Baptist. These were all historical facts presented to me. I had never heard them before, probably because they weren't true, but that didn't stop her from teaching them, and it didn't stop the class from believing them. Those things would have cast doubt on what I had been taught, and I would have just more and more thought, well, I, I, I didn't realize these things. And more and more, uh, my, my understanding of Christianity would have just sort of faded into the background. Uh, I, I don't, I never, the party scene never really attracted me, but I definitely would have been interested in, in dating girls that, and I'm sure they, they wouldn't have had this kind of faith importance. That wouldn't have important, been important to me at all. And I just believe that by the end of, of uh, probably my first year at DePaul, my faith would have been uh, forgotten. And it would have been something that I would have looked back on. Oh yeah, that was that that quaint time in my life when I was in high school, when I was involved, before I, I learned more about the world and, and more about religion. And I, I probably would have uh, even become someone who began to deride Christians for being closed-minded and rigid and believing in, in, in that, that there was anything special about what they had to believe. Um, you know, I, I, was, I was someone who… Uh, Homer Simpson was asked at one point, what religion are you? This is in the Simpsons TV show. And he says, oh, you know, the one with the well-meaning rules that don't work out in real life, uh, Christianity. That's, I think, uh, would have probably been my assessment of Christianity had something not pushed through. Because God was just a concept. Uh, I think a good way to put it for me is that it hadn't yet gotten my attention it was in my head, but it wasn't in my heart, and I, I didn't see anything really all that different than just another way of living your life. The gospel I had been given uh, was sort of enough to get me into heaven, but it didn't do anything for my time on earth. So what changed? Well, the difference is that towards the end of my time in high school, uh, I actually quit theater at my school my senior year because my, my, my drama teacher was a little bit nutty. And I said, I, I don't want to spend my senior year with this uh, person that's that, a little bit, little bit nutty. Uh, so I said, I'm going to do something else. And I got more involved in my church. The, the guy who was the closest thing to a mentor to me uh, encouraged me to help out in the middle school ministry where he was a leader. And so I started doing that. And uh, we also had a, a pastor who had come to our church who started uh, teaching us things that we that were certainly new to us. And there was a, a number of guys that he invited to his office one night, and he had a bunch of uh, snacks for us. He called it the Dead Theologian Society, like a, a take on the Dead Poet Society. And he, uh, we, we asked him questions about the Bible, and uh, he started telling us stories that he had about people he'd known that had been freed from demonic oppression and, and you know, people that had been healed from, from different diseases. And, you know, we're eating our Fritos and like... <laughs> Say what? I've never heard about this before, and um, so it was a little bit, a little bit new information that we're hearing. 
Um, in those meetings, as we prepared for the middle school ministry, my leader brought his guitar, and he began to to sing songs, and it was a different kind of singing than I was used to in my youth group, where we would sort of hold, you know, go arm in arm and sway and sing, pass it on if you know that song, things like that. Um, these were songs that were uh, directed towards God, and as we worshiped God, we sensed that He was there with us in a, in a powerful, profound way. So when I went off to college, my mentor said, hey, you really need to find a church, and the church that I stumbled into uh, this was a passage, the one that I read here, this was a passage that was referenced quite a bit in the early years that I was there. Um, so let's, let's, let's dig into the passage a bit. The context here, it's John 14, and the most famous passage in John 14 is, is verse 6, where Jesus says, I am the way. So he's letting them know, I am going to the Father, and you need to know that the Father is in me, and, and they say, well, show us the way. And he says, I am the way, and and I'm the truth, I'm the life, the the way to the Father is through me. And they're not really getting it. Philip says, oh yes, the Father, show us the Father. And Jesus says, well, if if you've seen me, then you've seen the Father. And then he gets to our passage today. And I've got some observations. I want to make one observation before we dig into the text. The first observation is that Christianity and miracles are inextricably linked. So, if you read, even start in the Old Testament, uh, you can't help but see that the miracles jump off the page, even starting in the Old Testament, certainly with creation. But we see in the Exodus, um, the burning bush and all of the plagues. We see throughout the Old Testament these signs of, of, of God being with His people, the sun standing still, Jericho falling in a miraculous way to, to Joshua. We see a, a, a talking donkey. We see Elijah showing up. Uh, in, an, in an incredible way. So then when we move into the New Testament, it should be no surprise that if Jesus comes and says, I, I'm coming from God, that he would be bringing with him these miraculous signs as well to show that, that you can trust that he is indeed from God. Put quite simply, without miracles, without supernatural phenomena that accompanied Jesus and his teachings, Christianity would not exist. It would, have, it, would, it would have been a footnote in history, just one little sect of Judaism that came and went. A lot of people try to, to lump Christianity with other religions. Well, they all kind of basically teach the same thing. It feels good to believe that, that, well, you know, we just want to get along, and they all kind of teach the same thing. And sure, there are similarities in the teachings of the world religions, but they're not the same. And one of the main reasons that, that I am a follower of Jesus is because of the historical proof of miracles. Recently, I had a, a Jewish acquaintance of mine who approached me and very out of the blue, he said, hey, you knew I was a pastor. He said, you know, I got a, I got a question for you. Go ahead. How does a Jewish carpenter 2,000 years ago start one of the major world religions? How does that happen? And I'm just sort of like, oh, we're doing this now. This is happening. I was not prepared for this at all. And I said, well, that's a great question. I said, you know, have you ever read the New Testament before? And he hadn't. And I said, well, you know, check it out. Just, just look it up online. One of the things that you'll see is not only does he have some pretty interesting things to say, but there are some miraculous things that happen. And, and there were things that happened that, that got people's attention to the point that that's what caused them to believe. I, I just, I said, I, I simply don't think that this would have happened 
had we not seen the miracles of Jesus. You have no miracles. Uh, you have no Christianity. They are inextricably linked. Even if you look at the Apostle Paul, who I, I love to talk about the Apostle Paul, he wrote more than half the books in the New Testament. He started out as uh, someone who didn't just dislike Christianity, he was killing Christians in the name of God. Well, then he stops doing that and becomes one of the greatest Christians in history. What, what might have changed that? The only thing I can imagine is something miraculous happened to Paul to make him change. To me, that is proof of the miraculous nature of Christianity. But the purpose of the miracles, and this is my second point, was to lead to faith. Here's where we'll dig into our passage a little deeper. The purpose of Jesus' miracles was to lead to faith. The passage indicates that the message that Jesus, the method Jesus used to show people that he came from the Father, that he was the anointed one, is the miracles. Verse 11, he says, Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. He says his followers are to believe Jesus, to take his word for it, but he says, okay, if you don't believe me, then how about you believe on the evidence of the works? And the works that he's referring to, I believe, are, he's talking about his miracles. The, the translation of, of the NIV that was updated a couple of years ago changed miracles to works. The, the original Greek word is for works, but the reason that the NIV chose miracles for a while was to say, I think this is what he's referring to. And scholars disagree about this somewhat, but I land with uh, D.A. Carson, a prominent scholar on this, who says Jesus' works may include more than his miracles, but they never exclude them. So if you want to say, well, okay, Jesus' works are more than his miracles, yeah, that's fine. But in this context, I believe he's talking about the miraculous works that he does. He says, he says like, I, I know you need evidence, and that's why I'm doing miracles, to give you some proof for you to be able to put your faith in. The miracles are, are signposts that point to the fact that Jesus is who he says he is. And I love that he says this. I love that he says, look, you need evidence. I know that. Here's some evidence for you to put your faith in. I love that when, when I read about doubting Thomas, that's me. I know that I would have been the guy to say, look, I need some proof. Unless I see those those scars in his hands, I'm, I'm not going to believe because that's what I need as well. The church in the West is, is pretty good at providing a lot of cognitive evidence, reasons for faith, but we're less comfortable talking about miraculous evidence for faith. Some people just, they just need to know intellectually that's enough and they can believe. I admire that. I need more than that. I need proof. And, and given what Jesus says in the passage, I think it's okay to say, it's, it's okay to have faith based on what he says, the evidence of the works. So the point of Jesus' miracles is to lead to faith. Point number three follows that, which is that Jesus' followers, I believe, were and are expected to experience miracles. Jesus' followers were and are expected to experience miracles. And I, I, I define miracles very broadly here. Jesus has something in mind, but when, I, when I'm talking about this, I, I, I just believe in that, that miracles are things where we see God. It can be something that really eye-popping things like healings or when God speaks a word from, from someone to someone else that could be nothing other than God speaking, or just when God 
answers a prayer where you just know that you know that God has answered that prayer. I believe that we were expected to, to experience those as well. Verse 12, very truly I tell you, Jesus says, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. And they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. That's us, the people who believe. We will do those same things because Jesus goes to the Father. Well, what that means, later in this passage, he says, unless I go to the Father, I can't send you the Spirit, the, 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 the counselor to come, the advocate. When he goes to the Father, then he sends his Spirit to do the works that are, we're now experiencing today. Now, some people uh, have a difference of opinion on this. Some people believe that we are not going to experience miracles today. Others do. Some people think that we don't need miracles anymore because the New Testament has been written, and so we now have the New Testament. Well, I don't believe that there's anything from Scripture that would prove that just because the New Testament has been written that we, don't, uh, we shouldn't expect to see miracles anymore. And experientially, um, I've, I've seen proof that would suggest that miracles continue today as well. So I believe that we as Jesus followers should, should seek to and expect to see miraculous things done in our midst. Um, now when I mention miraculous things, and when I say the term miracle, some of you are just, you're going right to the guy that you've seen on late night television and you're flipping through and the guy says, you know, Reach your hand close to the screen and feel, feel the healing power of Jesus. They're always from the South. <clears throat> At least it's funnier that way. But, and they'll say, you know, and if you give this love offering, the healing will come even more. There's the number on the screen. I'd like you to call that number. Send us a little donation and that healing will come. You know, so you see things like that. His hair is, you know, up like this. And you just sort of go, okay, well, that guy is... Uh, you know, Looney Tunes, and I don't want to have anything to do with that. And so some of you have just dismissed the miraculous based on <clears throat> some bad representation of, of, of what this could look like. So I think it's been hijacked. This, this experience of the miraculous has been hijacked by some that aren't the best representation. And that's why it's important to go back to the Scriptures and say, okay, do the scriptures say that this is something that we can expect to see in some degree? Yeah. And, and, and does our experience confirm that? Then, then that's what we should be expecting as well. And these are the kinds of things that were different about the community that I was a part of in college. And that, where this, I, I heard this passage and I started to see that people there had a different expectation of interacting with God. The group of churches that was started, um, it was started originally a number of years ago by a guy who came to faith later in life, uh, and he started attending church uh, in the 1960s. He started reading his New Testament, and he showed up at, at a church one day, and he first looks around, and he wondered why there weren't ashtrays in church. That just sort of occurred to him. Man, what's, what's wrong with this place? There's no, no place to put out my cigarette. That's weird. Uh, but then he's, he's reading the pages of the New Testament and sort of going, well, now this is something I, I could be interested in. And the service ends and everyone's leaving and he, he uh, goes to the pastor and says, I just got a question. I'm wondering when you guys do the stuff. Like, do I, is there a different meeting that I should go to where you do the stuff? 
And he says, I don't know what you're talking about. I said, you know, the stuff, like the stuff I'm reading in the Bible, like the healings and the you know, demons flying out of people, that kind of stuff. That's, that's the stuff I'm looking for. When do you do the stuff? And he says, oh, well, we don't really do that around here. And he said, oh, that's strange because it, it says it should happen here. Well, later in this guy's life, God uses him powerfully to, to do sort, the sorts of stuff that he hadn't really been, been seeing. And uh, this church that I was a part of had been really heavily influenced by, uh, by, by some of those churches that he was starting. And so just, there was just a different expectation when I got there that, that if somebody was sick, hey, let's pray for him. And maybe they'll get healed, maybe they won't, but we're going to just keep praying for that. And um, let, let's ask God to, to move in our lives. And sometimes people would, would feel like, you know, I feel like God is saying that I'm supposed to go pray something for this person. I don't know if it's if it's from God or not, but I'm just going to take, take a chance and go out and do it and, and pray this. And, and, and there was a real sense of encouragement as they were listening to God and believing that he was moving in this way. And I've just got a, a few stories to tell just to, to help you put this in context. So um, I was in a prayer meeting. Uh, we'd started a small group at our, one, of my, uh, one of the residence halls at DePaul my junior year. And there was a girl who was there who uh, had full hearing in one ear and, and couldn't hear at all in, in another ear. And someone said, it wasn't me, someone said, uh, well, why don't we pray for her? I think we should pray for her, pray for her hearing. And so we did. And all of a sudden I hear her say, I wasn't even part of the prayer time, I was on the other side of the room. I hear her say, I, I just heard the cupboard door close. I said, what, what are you talking about? Someone just closed the cupboard door on the other side of the room. I, I couldn't hear that before. I, my, my hearing has been restored. And we're all just sort of like, are you serious? I mean, we weren't, I wasn't expecting it. Uh, things like that were happening in this, in this season too. And sometimes you experience seasons of this where another friend of mine, he's in a prayer time and he is, he's worshiping God and he hears God say to him somehow, not an audible voice, but Joe, I'm going to heal you of your asthma. And he feels the, 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 the presence of God and sure enough, he, he didn't need his inhaler for the rest of his time. Now, some of you are sitting here going, a little skeptical, I understand that. And some of you are saying, really? That's the kind of healing that you're talking about? Because, you know, and I'm going I'm to address some of those concerns in a bit. I understand uh, that the skepticism and perhaps frustration with uh, that understanding would come. One other story I want to tell you is that uh, there was a, a guy, he actually attends this church today, but was a part of that, that church a while back, where he tells a story that he woke up one morning, he was actually on a, a business golfing trip with an associate of his, and he's, he's rooming with this guy, and uh, he hears God, it's kind of like a, like a thumb drive into his brain, he hears God say to him, this guy, your friend Jim, he's a Christian, in fact, I've called him to be a pastor, he even uh, quit his job and went to seminary. Then while he was in seminary, something happened that caused him to stop believing, and he's been running from me ever since. And he just had this sense that he was supposed to tell this guy that. Well, he's like, absolutely not. That guy is going to be so freaked out. Furthermore, there's no chance this guy's a Christian. I've seen how much he swears and how much he parties. Like, there's no way this is true. I must be making this up. He says, God, I need a, I'm going to need a sign, something like really crazy to happen to me today to believe that this actually happened. Think, okay, that's the way I'm going to get out of it. Well, they go golfing later in the day. And uh, they're looking for Jim's ball in one hole. Somebody looks up and sees that the ball has stuck in a tree that's like it's got no leaves on it and just like two little twigs and somehow it's just perched right there. 
And they see another ball also in the tree. And everyone's just laughing. Oh, what are the odds of that? And my friend is just like, oh, no, this is my, this is my sign. Well, he's like, I'm still not doing it because maybe it's not my sign. I mean, yeah, balls land in trees all the time. Come on. So they're driving home from the golf trip. And uh, his friend says, hey, let's get to know each other a little bit. I've got a question for you. What, if you weren't doing this job right now, what, what job would you do if you, if you didn't have to worry about money? And my friend says, well, I've always thought about going into ministry. And Jim says, yeah, I, I thought about that at one point in my life too. And at this point, my friend realizes, okay, this is my moment. I, I got to do this. But he's driving and he's, he's so nervous that he pulls the car to the side of the road and says, actually, I, I know that about you. Um, God told me that, that you're a Christian and that you quit your job. You went to seminary, but something happened there. And you've been running from him ever since. And this guy looks over him and says, I don't know how you know that, but you're exactly right. And he begins to weep uncontrollably. And they both just sit in the car and just, just kind of weep together. Um, they ended up driving him home. He ended up praying for him, praying for his marriage, which was really broken. And um, what my friend said is that he had, had you know, gotten counseling for his marriage and got involved in a local church from there. These kinds of stories that I share, they weren't things that we experienced every day. Uh, like I said, there were seasons when they happened more often. But there was just a sense of an expectation that Jesus says we're going to experience these sorts of things. He is at work. The Spirit is at work in our lives right now. And we're supposed to be seeking those sorts of things. And it changed me. It changed who I was. It changed my faith. Which brings us to our next point. Point number four is that miracles transform us. Now, I want to be very practical uh, about this. I believe that an awareness of the supernatural aspects of our faith is important because of the transformation that comes as a result. And, and we can't control it. We can't control the miraculous. Many of you have prayed for a miracle. You have prayed for, you know, you, you, you're like, yeah, I've been ready for this. And I, I, I was seeking this specific miracle. And I, I knew exactly how it was going to play out. Uh, I knew that, that, that God, you're going to come and you're going to heal this person and you're going to get the glory and it's going to be incredible. And you prayed and prayed and maybe you had, had hundreds of people praying and it didn't come. The answer was, no, not this time. And it led to disillusionment. And I just want to say that, you know, we don't control this and, and we can be disappointed by this if we don't hold on to it loosely and trust in God to bring about uh, his his miracles and his, his transformation in his time. We pray and we seek, and when, if, if, if this doesn't come, we trust in the character of God. We trust that he is good. We don't trust in the gifts. We trust in the giver. Um, we don't control his power. We expect it. We, we, we wait for it. We hope for it. But we let God be God. And when he does come, it's often in ways that we didn't expect it, and it transforms people. Not always, of course. Uh, in, in Luke 16, Jesus says, you know, some people can experience seeing someone rise from the dead and they still won't believe. But by and large, they transform people. Um, about a year ago at a church service that I was at uh, on a mission trip that I led with a high school youth group, 
In the Dominican Republic, we heard a, a message, you know, first time that most of us were there at this church service, and there was a guest speaker that day, and, and she was actually an American, and she kind of freaked me out, to be honest. She was, she was jumping all around, and she was just, you know, going from Scripture to Scripture to Scripture, and it was not what I was used to. And I was actually looking at my watch thinking, man, my students are going to be freaked out by this, and we're going to kind of have a big laugh about this at the end. She was a little crazy, wasn't she? Well, at the end, she invites people forward for prayer. And much to my surprise, a number of my students go forward for prayer. And I'm like, oh, I'm such a bad pastor. I'm a terrible, (laughs) terrible pastor uh, that I was waiting to leave, and these students all want to go receive prayer. And a number of them began to to receive prayer from, from this woman and a couple of people that were praying for people. And one student in particular who went forward and was really drawn in by this, the day before, uh, I didn't know this, but she, she shared with me later, the day before she had written in her Bible or in her, in her journal that the state of her relationship with God was that it was non-existent. And she, she, she felt alone. She didn't feel like anybody loved her. And she had decided that she really didn't want to have anything to do with God, and she didn't know why she was on this mission trip to begin with. Well, in that moment, uh, she felt the presence of God, and she heard this woman praying for us. God wants you to know that He is with you. He's, he's got your hand, and He's walking with you, and He loves you, and cares about you. Um, it, it, it completely transformed her. I, I've never seen someone, I mean, she looked like a different person later in that day. Um, she, was, she was smiling. She was talking to people. It was like she, she was just she completely was transformed before our very eyes. Um, so these kinds of things can happen, and, and, and they can change us on the inside to, in, in other ways. I know for me, when I began to, to recognize the, the, the power of God, um, my selfishness started to sort of, my, my, my worldview changed because I realized that up to that point, I, I viewed the world from just a, a, a siler point of view. Everything was sort of about me and how, how God could help me live my life. And I realized in this moment, okay, no, God is at the center of the universe. He is who we need to be following and putting our faith in and trusting in Him in everything. And this is not, you know, John 14 is not the only place where you hear about this too. The Apostle Paul talks a lot about how our faith has to rest on power. He says in 1 Corinthians 2, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. I read this recently. I remember thinking, oh, that's, that's all of my preaching. My preaching is only wise and persuasive words. Man, I am missing out on something here. Um, but Paul's just saying, look, it's okay for your faith to rest on power. And there's a place, Paul went to the synagogues and he, he was persuading people all the time. But what he's saying is our faith can rest on more than just persuasion. It can rest on power. So, okay, some of you might say, okay, what do I, what do you want me to do? You know, I, now I feel really, I, I'm not intending for this to bring guilt at all. This is, that's not the point for you to feel like there's something that you have to do as much as it's for you to say, where is God at work? Where is God already at work in my life? Chances are you've seen this. You, you can look at something and go, yeah, you know what? I'm kind of afraid to admit this, but I think that was God. That was God at work in my life. Just, just admit it. Just say, yes, that is where God's at work. And I, and I want to say yes to that and I want more of that. Some of you might just be nervous about, you know, I don't want to be one of those Christians. I don't want to be those kind of weird, holy roller Christians. 
That's just, it's, it's weird. That, you know, the world we live in is a, is, a, is a very ordered universe. It's not weird at all. Okay, that is just not true. Okay, the world is actually really weird. It's just that we're so used to it. Uh, we, we pretend it's not. Like, the, the weirdest thing that no one is talking about is that we're on a planet right now, okay? We're on a 25,000 miles around sphere that is spinning 1,000 miles an hour. Like, no one is doing We're spinning right now. We don't talk about it. And we're orbiting at a rate of 67,000 miles per hour. We're spinning and moving that quickly, and no one's talking about it. It's really weird, okay? So the world is a weird place. So why wouldn't God, who created this world, do some things that, that might just seem a little odd, seem a little different, seem a little weird? We can embrace um, the fact that, that, that the God of the universe, who made this weird world, might do some things out of the ordinary. He is still interacting with us today. And it may be as eye-popping as a healing or, a, or, or a, a word from God, and it may be as simple as just an answered prayer. You know, one of the early ones that I remember that got my attention is that um, when I was a, a freshman at DePaul, I uh, realized that I needed to start spending time with God on a regular basis. It wasn't something that I was doing on, on a regular basis up to that point. But I hated getting up early, and I didn't, I didn't want to. In my prayer, I remember writing in my journal, God, you are going to have to wake me up early because I just, I just don't like to wake up early. And I had an 8.30 class. Didn't think about it. So I, I did, I, I knew that I had to set an alarm and the alarm clock I had with me, it was not very precise. So I asked my mom if she would mail me the one that I had from home. So I was waiting for that one. Then I remember it was my birthday uh, because I walk into the cafeteria on my birthday and I, it says that, that I, had, I was one of a few people that had won something at the cafeteria. I didn't even remember filling something out. But apparently I had filled something out and I had won it. I, was, I must have been doing it when I was in line. Yeah, okay, I turned it down. I'm like, yeah, it's my birthday. I won something. What did I win? So you can guess what I won. She comes around the corner. Oh, I was like, yeah, that's my name. What did I win? A travel alarm clock. I'm serious. That's what I won. And I, so the package arrives for my mom. I've now got three alarm clocks. What, I mean, I just, I just, I just kind of chuckled like, okay, God, that, I mean, but that's, that's, that's the God who answers prayer in a surprising way. He says, you want to, yeah, I want, you want to spend time with me? Well, I want to spend time with you. Here are three alarm clocks. I can help you with that. It wasn't raising someone from the dead, but it was, it was realizing that God was, was, was hearing me and responding to me. And wanted me to know that he was with me. My final point, and it's a brief one, is this. Transformed Christians will transform the world. Why is all of this important? It's because the message of God's grace, the message that he loves us, that he made each person for for a purpose, is too important for us to not get it, to, for us to not, we have to be transformed first so that we will go out and share this message with a world that desperately needs to hear it. Our message is unique, but its uniqueness doesn't rest on its rightness alone. Sometimes if all, we, all we get is that it's, it's correct. Our doctrine is the right doctrine. And so sometimes that can sort of puff us up. It can make us prideful. It can make us smug. I know that I'm right, and that, that, makes, that makes me great. Well, messengers who carry power that they know is not their own carry themselves differently. There is a, a humility. There is a lack 
of smugness to those people. So you may never uh, heal someone, but some of you might. And some of you may say, you know, God is speaking to me. And and there are some things that I I need to step out in faith and and be willing to take a risk that I can bless someone uh, in this way. Others of you might need to take a step of faith. You know that you you need to step out, go on that short-term mission trip maybe that you've been putting off for a while. Get involved in that ministry that you've been wanting to get involved in, but you've just kind of been putting it off. For others of you, this may be the first time you've heard anything like this, and I just want you to know, be thinking about, understanding God's real, He's powerful, and your faith doesn't have to just rest on your intellect, but it can rest on power. I'm going to close with uh, a final story. When I was uh, probably, so when my son was about three years old, uh, he walked into my office, it's just down the hall here, and he says to me, Dad, what are you going to take God out of the box? And I said, what did you just say to me? He says, when are you going to take God out of the box? And I just sort of stared at him and I said, is my son speaking to me from God? Is, is God telling me that I have put him in a box? And like, I'm just seeing this play out. My life's going to be a, a made-for-TV movie, you know. My son, Kirk Cameron's going to play me and it's going to be called From the Mouths of Babes. Like, this is happening all right here. My son is speaking this word and then I look around the room and I see this, the Jesus action figure. <laughs> so a student had given this to me as sort of a, a joke. She saw this at a toy store and she gave it to me. It's the Jesus action figure. It's got posable arms and gliding action. Well, my son Foster had learned in Lighthouse that Jesus is God. And so he looks over and sees Jesus in the box and he wants to know when, he's, when I'm going to take God out of the box because he wants to play with, you know, the guy in the box. So I was relieved. Uh, Okay, (laughs) God isn't speaking to me. But I do think that this Jesus action figure may be an appropriate metaphor for how we can view Jesus. You know, he's just, he's he's little and he's cute and we can we can we can play with his with his arms and we can sort of glide him around and but but Jesus doesn't even if we wanted to put God in a box, he's not gonna stay in a box. That's not who God is. He is at work all around us in ways that we could never expect. And he invites us to see that world and to join him in it and to say yes to all that he's doing so that he can transform us so that we can go out and be the transformation that he wants us to be in the world around us. Please pray with me. Lord God, thank you for surprising us. Thank you for surprising me. Thank you for coming into my life in a way that I couldn't have expected. Lord, I pray for each one of us that you would just give us grace to say yes to you. Give us courage to to walk out in faith, just in small ways. But to, to see you, God, and to worship you as you are. Amen.